Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that's weighing up its options after being approached by Barcelona this week. On today's part, we're going Euro 2020 crazy, assessing all the runners and riders for this summer's big tournament. And we'll do this as an Englishman, Scotsman and Welshman. I'm aware that sounds like the start of a joke, but in these politically correct times, I won't be saying it. And nor will my sheep. She's too busy anyway, making herself look pretty for our big date later. Anyway, let's meet the guests. First up, from the north, it's 9320's very own Pride of Scotland. It's Ali. <laughs> Hello, sir. You well? I am, thanks. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking when I came on, uh, since the last time I talked to you, I've... Uh... What, what's happened? Uh, I've watched uh, my hometown team, St. Johnston, <laughs> win the cup double. Yeah. Uh, I've prepared for a Champions League final. I've uh, got through the uh, the heartbreak of the actual Champions League final itself. I've gone through the full 12 stages of, of recovery, denial, grief, <laughs> anger, all the rest of it. Uh, I've started to look forward to a, a, a major international tournament. Uh, and I've come back in the podcast. And it was only three weeks ago. Well, quiet, and that's the beauty of, of kind of the Euros or World Cups, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, you can close that chapter of last season. Not that it was a disappointment, it was an incredible season, but yeah, that particular yeah. game you mentioned there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. we, we won't mention that one again today, we've done that enough. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> next up, with his house bedecked in St. George flags and still harbouring the grudge that John Terry and Jeremy Clarkson have yet to be knighted, it's Lloyd. <laughs> All right, mate, you well. You're right, mate. So, I actually saw Jeremy Clarkson in Porto. So, uh, Did, were you the one who punched him? Yeah, that was me. Yeah. Oh, uh, no. hero! You absolute hero. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he was surrounded by the Brexit brigade of the Chelsea boys. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I thought that absolutely stinks. I'll stay clear of that zone. Yeah, and and I actually had to ask you before the pod whether you are English. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I think I am for. For football purposes, anyway. Right, yeah, yeah, and we're, you're always welcome in the valleys, mate. That's all I'm saying. We'll I've we'll, got family in the valleys, mate. I'm, I'm yeah, definitely welcome down there. We'll, we'll gladly have you any time. Right then, before we get to um, you know the tournament favourites, Wales, we'll start with England, the rank outsiders. <laughs> um, Ali, what do you make of England's squad? What are their kind of strengths? What are their weaknesses? Uh, well, is it? Incredibly creative and exciting and and uh, unlikable team. I mean, I, I, as a Scotsman, it, it is it's <laughs> a bit like having the rug pulled out from under your feet. Because uh, not only do I you know, actually really quite like this England manager, I really like this England team. It's full of nice lads and and uh, and of course with the the political undertones as well. Since I discovered that that the, the um, this team of England footballers are in fact. Uh, Secret Marxists who are <laughs> plotting to uh, to smash uh, you know <laughs> civilized society and bring down capitalism. I've warmed to them a lot more, obviously. Uh, yeah. But no, beyond beyond all the silliness, um, they're a great bunch of lads, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and I wish them well. Genuinely, I'll say that. Get that out of the way first, and I, I hope, other than in one game, particular, I hope they do very well. Um, they're obviously just. Incredibly exciting going forward, and in, in terms of creativity, um, the the amount of depth and choice that Gareth kind of Southgate has got at his disposal in the kind of front four, five, six positions is uh, really quite mouth watering. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll come on to a lo- an awful lot of that. Um, at the same time, I I do worry about them. I think they're uh, a little bit light in the middle. 
Um, yeah, with with all due respect to Rice and, and possibly Calvin Phillips, yeah, they're they're good Premier League players. Yeah. Uh, but you know, they're they're not Busquets, they're not Fernandinho, they're you know it, when they get to the latter stages of a major tournament, I really struggle to see that midfield holding its own against the other top teams. Um and they're well partly be in, in, in connected to that, uh missing Probably Henderson, uh, probably definitely Maguire is massive for England, I think. Uh, it's not just that kind of strength and solidity in the middle. Um, it's also Henderson's leadership. I think uh, England, if they lack one thing, it's kind of a um, Vincent Company, Fernandinho type who will just grab other players by the by the scruff yeah. of the neck and yell in their faces when needed. Uh, I think they don't have that kind of strength, that type of personality anywhere in their squad, particularly without Henderson. Uh, so, yeah, I think they're not quite the complete package this time round. Um, I I don't think I could quite bring myself to, to tip them for the entire tournament, but I think they will have a really good, uh, I think they'll have a good Euros, um, and I expect them to do well, maybe even as well as they did uh, three years ago at the World Cup. Yeah, I completely agree with all that. And as regards to kind of Henderson, um, I'm very reluctant to kind of acknowledge this, but yeah, he's so important to England. I mean, I know Liverpool fans will love people saying that, but it's true. It, it's it's his game management as much as his leadership, isn't it? And just kind of steering his team through choppy waters, which you know any team's going to encounter in a major yeah, tournament. Yeah, it, it's the force of personality thing that I think every team needs that at, yeah. at, at whatever level uh, and and I think Henderson brings that and I'm not sure who else in the England team does. I saw him uh, a little online video with Roy Keane and Micah uh, do, they're, they're doing a Sky oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. little online series um, and Roy Keane I credit where you made a really good point uh, in that Harry, Harry Kane is a phenomenally good striker he's a, he's a brilliant footballer uh, but he's not a great captain and even when Spurs have been at their kind of you know falling apart at the seams you never saw Harry Kane just you know, yelling in the faces mm. of other players even when they needed to um, and I think that probably is you know the, the one you know uh, X factor that, that England is still missing well, you mentioned Harry Kane there. I mean, Lloyd Kane was directly involved in more goals than any other player across all the groups in the qualifying. Uh, mm. Second was Raheem Sterling um, than any other player in any other group. Throw in Marcus Rashford, Phil Foden, Jaden uh, Sancho, Mason Mount. It's quite an exciting attacking lineup um, England have, and, you know, quite young too. I mean, in that regard, kind of how. How much are you looking forward to watching them play because of, you know, their kind of, I don't know, the potential that they have? I mean, Phil Foden, God knows what he could do in this tournament. Exactly. Jack Grealish as well. Of course, um, yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so England have got the third youngest team in the in the whole Euros um, on average age. And I think that shows particularly in, if you look at, like you said, the options in particularly wide areas and in midfield, uh, you know, I think probably only really France that can rival them for that kind of fire, firepower up front. Um, you know, England's bench will be absolute top Champions League quality in terms of attacking options. I think obviously the big, like, I completely agree with Ali, like England's midfield is pretty um, threadbare in terms of, mm. not only in terms of options, but I think it's a little bit in terms of quality. I think, 
I think the starting midfield, if you can get it on the pitch of, say, Rice, Henderson, Mount, is good enough. Um, I think the problem is you're probably going to struggle to get Henderson on the pitch, at least in the first game. Um, and then we're talking about starting Jude Bellingham, potentially, who is incredible, but 17. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, caution needs to be put put to him. And I think... Again, Ali's right on Phillips. I just don't. Phillips is a good player. I think he looks great in Leeds' very specific system, but mm. I think it's a very different thing playing kind of top level international football. Um, and then the other one, the big one, is obviously that Maguire's fitness is is a bit of a doubt, and it does sound well. Papers were saying overnight they expect that he probably won't be involved in England's first two games, so he'll probably have to play against Czech Republic, and then he'll be thrown into a last 16 game uh, against most likely a very good team. So that's, um, I think that's kind of England's big problem going into this, this tournament. Uh, Their kind of preparation has been massively disrupted because of the, well, because of those injuries and because of the Champions League and Europa League finals that basically half of England's best players have been involved in. So, yeah, there are a few question marks, but I think you're right to say what you, you are in the question and that, this is an exciting team. Um, probably not at its prime now, but it should be fun, hopefully. Um, I think, you know, Southgate is a pragmatist, but like you say, they're the highest scorers in in qualifying. And I do think he's shown um, more recently that he's willing to adapt. He's moved back to a four at the back from playing a back three for, for quite a few years, which obviously frustrated fans. So, yeah, it should be fun. Um I mean, I might not be saying that once we get knocked out by Portugal in the round of 16 or something, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's definitely got the uh, the hallmarks of it being not as much of a stodge affair as it has in previous years and definitely as a squad. It's the most exciting kind of the squad has been for, it feels like, 10, 15 years, I think. Well, you mentioned there about kind of going out in the last 16. Uh, the big irony about kind of this weekend's game of Croatia is do England really want to win it? <laughs> because... Should they top the group, then um, they have to play the runner-up in Group F, the so-called kind of group of death. So very likely it would be one of Portugal, Germany or France. But if you finish runner-up in the group, then they'll play the runner-up of the group that has kind of Spain, um, Sweden and Poland. So likely it would be Sweden or Poland they'd face. So it's actually beneficial, isn't it, to finish kind of runner-up in their group. And having said that, if they win the group, then all but one of our games in this tournament will be played at Wembley. So it's going to be really intriguing how that one plays out. Um, Ali, how much... I mean, Lloyd said there that uh, kind of Southgate is a pragmatist, but he is learning to adapt. To what extent will he adapt, do you think? Could we see a team with Mount Foden and Grealish in the same starting eleven in this tournament? Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, I think there is... Uh five or six players that could take the kind of front four spots. Um, and we will probably see all different combinations at various points. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, uh, I, I, I was noting down what I think I would pick if I was England manager, <laughs> heaven forbid, uh, and what I think Southgate will. And, and my choice would be a lot more bold and, and probably idiotic than, than Gareth Southgate's would be. Um, uh, but even, um, you know, even trying to, to put myself into Southgate's, uh, boots. I, I think there's, there's several combinations where you've got Mount and Foden and Grealish, uh, you know, all, all on the pitch at the same time. I mean, one, one, one 
uh, one option I really like is having Mountain Foden as eighth behind um, Grealish, uh, uh, Kane, and Sancho, maybe, uh, or or Raz, uh, who I think I wouldn't be at all surprised if, particularly for the first game, Southgate goes with uh, loyalty and experience yes, in some of those positions. So, you know, picking on form, I think probably nobody... <laughs> the least of all a Man City fan uh, would have uh, Raheem Sterling in the starting 11 at the moment, bless him uh, but uh, I think uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if Southgate does because he does value loyalty and I think there's a lot to be said for that um, so yeah I mean, I'd, uh, a front five of, of Mount Foden, Grealish, Kane Sancho would suit me down to the ground, um, we'll probably see Rashford somewhere in there as well. We'll probably see uh, uh, Raz in there somewhere as well. Um, and good luck to Southgate trying to make it work. I mean, it is just, you know, the, the cliche is, is the kind of problem that every manager wants. You know, you've got all these fantastic players. Some of them will start, some of them will come off the bench. And I think one of the, the key factors in decision-making for Southgate will be which of those players would make the biggest difference uh, when you bring them on at mm. 60, 70 minutes. Um, you know, the, the thought of having Rashford and Sancho coming on when you've got defenders tiring at the other end would be absolutely terrifying, I think, for, for any opposing manager. Um, so that, you know, all those, all those factors are at play. Um, I, I expect Southgate to pick quite a cautious, uh, 11 for his, for his first team, sorry, for the, the first match. Um, and then maybe, Chop and change a bit as the games go on, uh, but no, I, I yeah, all Grealish and Foden, I think, will be two of the standout talents of uh, this tournament, and I think both of them will get a lot of time on the pitch, um, and I think Mason Mount will probably be there pretty much for for the entire tournament. I think I think he's first choice in in terms of the the link between the the older midfielders and and the creative players. Yeah, I think traditionally we've seen that, haven't we, with England teams anyway, um, down the years in tournaments with, say, Michael Owen or David Beckham, when they emerged, it wasn't, you know, in the opening game, you know, they, they, they didn't start the opening games and then they, they were brought on, I think Owen was against Romania, I think, and then in the second game, perhaps, and then they start scoring, they start, you know, impressing, and then they make their mark, so... That's what I'm anticipating for Phil Foden. I definitely think that Raz will start against Croatia. Um, his stats alongside Harry Kane is phenomenal. Um, not just the amount of goals they've scored each, but how, how many assists they've had for each other. So I think you're absolutely right. I think he'll go with loyalty and his established team, the one he trusts, because ultimately this is an opening game, which you do not want to lose. And it's against the toughest opponents in the group. So, um, Lloyd, do you disagree with any of that? Do you think... Perhaps that Phil might start for the opening game or Grealish or, or Mans. I disagree a little bit in that I don't, I can't see a team that Southgate picks where Grealish, Mount, and Foden all start on the same pitch. Um, I just don't, I don't think that'll happen because I think definitely two, uh, but I just think three of them, as good as all of, the, all of them are, I think they're too similar and it would leave you slightly unbalanced. Um, I think Mount can obviously has obviously shown he can play midfield this season. Yeah, Grealish has actually played number ten a few times in both of the England friendlies, but I feel like it'll be Mount and then one of Grealish or Foden most likely. Um, in terms of starting a game, anyway, obviously all three could finish a game on the pitch. Um, I think that goes without saying. 
But yeah, I, I agree with what's been said in terms of the team for Croatia, to be honest. I think I think it'll be Sterling and Foden on the wings. Um, I, I think it's a real coin toss between Grealish and Foden because I think Phil is probably the man in possession because he played in the March uh, internationals, was excellent. Obviously, he's been in incredible form this season. And I think, you know, injury-wise, is obviously in a better place than, than Grealish. But Grealish has managed to play both the both the friendlies and has probably been man of the match in both. So I think it's a real, you know, it's a real coin toss between those two. I, I reckon he goes Phil, but not with that much confidence. Um, and I think it will be Raz on the other wing. Um, Dan Taylor did a piece in The Athletic, which uh, basically underlined that since Southgate's been manager in, I think, 2017 or, yeah, 2017? 16. Uh, yeah, 2016. Yeah. Um, every game that Sterling's been available for, he's played apart from one in which he was suspended for lamping Joe Gomez in the uh, in the cafeteria. <laughs> well worth um, it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so I think there's a, a, every chance for me that, that Sterling starts. I, I'm not sure he'll finish the tournament as a starter because, yeah. like we said, England's depth and, you know, Jaden Sancho is unbelievable. Uh, one of the best players probably in the world in his position. Um you know, Rashford is a top player as well. Uh, Saka's an amazing young. You know, we're, the the depth is is a joke, really. So, but yeah, I think for the first game, we'll see Raz. I think the question mark really is: there's t- probably two. What formation does Southgate play? Does he trust the back four um, and trust one of the mugs in uh, the, the treasures in Cody and Mings, or does he play? as has been rumoured, Walker at centre-half, or um, obviously does he play a back three, um, throw Luke Shaw and Kyle Walker into a back three, or and then the other one is obviously if Henderson can't start, who's he playing midfield with Martin Rice? Is it is it Phillips or is it Bellingham? Um, I think knowing, knowing Southgate like we do, I, I would expect the pragmatist in him would go for Phillips. Uh, the exciting pick would be Bellingham. I think that would be the right pick. Uh, but yeah, difficult to say. I mean, the encouragement for English kind of listeners to this pod, and encouragement for all of us in terms of our kind of enjoyment watching this tournament, is that it's not just England where you look at them and think they are stacked up front, but they are susceptible at the back. And I should I should say by the way, they've had fourteen clean sheets in the last twenty games, so there's no problem with a defence. But without Maguire, there is a concern there. Almost every team in this tournament bar three or four perhaps have weaknesses at the back including Germany which is you know kind of always surprising to me um so we could see loads of goals is what I'm saying in this tournament <laughs> could be really exciting and um, just very quickly before we move on to the other kind of runners and riders Ali um Phil Foden has been kind of burnished with lots of burdened with lots of hype in the last couple of weeks um compared to Gaza etc how he's dealt with that has really impressed me. And um, does the same go with you? Where I, I, I've just been quite surprised by him. Actually, he's brushed it off, but all, at, the all, at the same time, he's owned it. He said, "Yeah, okay, I could be the next Gaza this tournament. Yeah, you know, what, what an honour that would be. You know, I'm really looking forward to going out and playing." He, he's saying all the right things for me. Would you go along with that? Yeah, he he, he appears to have grown up in the last few weeks a bit. Yeah. You know, or or kind of not so much grown up, but but. 
uh, stepped onto a, a different level of manhood, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Um, there, there's a confidence when he when he turned up with that haircut, and you know, the haircut has been a stupid thing. It's been fun, and I, I don't want to to um, be a, a miserable curmudgeon about it. Um, but the way he carried that was like, yeah, here's me. I'm a star. I've got a star's haircut, mm. um, and very, very confidently came out and, and justified himself having a stupid haircut and laughed about <laughs> it. Um, and it, th- there was something... Um, he felt like he really belonged at that level. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that there was... Remember that stupid little fuss about uh, his his social media company on Twitter when, when we got through the semifinals and he tweeted something at um, Kylian Mbappé, Mbappé yeah, yeah. Um, which I thought was absolutely fine. Um, it, it, it was, obviously, it wasn't him that tweeted it, it was his company. And, and But I kind of think they got it wrong. It, uh, it, sorry, he got it wrong in overreacting, and, and the, the social media company was, was actually okay to be to be holding him up as a player on that kind of level who could mm. who could who had earned the right to have a bit of banter with the likes of Mbappe. And I think Foden is there now. Um, and it's incredibly exciting as a, as a City fan. And, and you know, if, if I were an England fan, I would be excited about it too. But I think he's got a huge, huge advantage over a lot of young players in his kind of position in that he is surrounded by similar talent uh, in the England team at the moment. Um, there's enough people who want Grealish to start ahead of him uh, there are enough people who are still flying, you know, flying a flag, excited to see Sancho or uh, Bellingham or or Yusaka uh, and all these other incredibly talented young players. It takes a lot of the pressure off uh, Phil. I think yeah, if he was the only, if he, if he was the only generational talent, you know, knocking around that um, that all of you know the whole the whole English nation had, had piled all their hopes and dreams onto his head and shoulders. Uh, it would be a lot harder for him. But as it is, you know, the, you know I, I think the the England fans and, and the English nation would be quite happy if he didn't even start first game and, and came on and, and you know, as you say eased himself into the tournament because England has got that you know, ludicrous wealth of, of talent uh, up front. So I think you know, everything is good for Phil. He's, he's in a great place and he's handling, handling it really well. Um, and yeah, he's he's now officially twenty one years of age, and and he's acting like it, and, and good on him. Yeah. Okay, well, let's have a look at the other groups. Um, Lloyd, who do you predict will be this year's dark horses? Hmm. Um. I think well, everyone's been saying Turkey, haven't they? But for me, I think it's probably if you. I think Denmark. If you look at their starting eleven. Mm. Um, is super super strong um you know their back three alone um is obviously christensen from uh from chelsea wackham anderson who just had a great season at at fulham obviously you know they got relegated but i think he was a kind of a standout for them um and who's the other bloke i'm missing steve help me out uh i can never pronounce his name char (laughs) it's K K J A E R. Yeah, it's like K- yeah. <laughs> Kajar, Kajar. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but obviously, you know, throw in like Thomas Delaney and Hoiberg, who are two like top level shit house like defensive midfielders. Then yeah. they should be they should be pretty solid. Um, 
And then, you know, you've got the the Ballon d'Or winner, Marcus Braffway up front and um, Christian Eriksen, who's obviously, you know, top player and great from set pieces. I think they've got the foundations to to frustrate a lot of teams and just win a lot of games by by one goal. Um, so I think they could go quite far. And obviously they're in the favourable side of the, of yes, the tournament, the yeah, um, yeah. which I think... It's kind of weird about this. Like this tournament is going to be so skewed on who plays who. Um, like, you know, England are a good example for that. Like you said, they could they could basically, you know, win all three games in the group and quite easily get knocked out uh, as soon as they get through. Whereas, yeah, on, on Belgium and Spain's side, they've just got a much easier run. Um, I think the other one for me, they're not really, I suppose they're not dark horses per se, but I think Italy will do quite well. Um They've obviously kind of had a massive upturn in form since Mancini's come in um, and they've gone from being, you know, super pragmatic to playing better football. And if you look at their team, you know, Immobile, Insigne, um, Locatelli, Verratti, Jorginho, Barella, Chiesa, like they've got lots of kind of good technical footballs to rival the kind of more well traditionally technical and big teams now in Europe which is obviously why they fell away and didn't qualify last time around so I think Italy whilst probably not dark horses per se will will do pretty well as well yeah, well said um, Ali anything to add to that uh, no I mean I'd, I'd, I'd uh, also Denmark marked down as possible long shot winners uh, I think if you if you look for a team to uh, overperform and maybe play the um play the part of Iceland in, in this tournament. Uh, I'd keep half an eye on North Macedonia. Um partly just because you know they're they're everybody's like new, slightly funny name, like where the hell is that kind of team, which is <laughs> always fun. Um but I mean they they beat Germany a couple of months ago. Uh they've had a really good run in, in qualifying and, and their other international tournaments uh international games around uh over the last six months or whatever. And they won't be afraid of anyone. Uh, and they've got a um Obviously, they're they're in what looks like the easiest group uh, of of all of them. Um, so yeah, they, they they'll be fun. Um, uh, what else are they still in dark horses? Um, well, what about sorry? Uh, what about yeah, kind of letdowns? Who do you think will be you know expected to do well, but will kind of underperform? Uh, this is really this is inviting me to make an absolute idiot of myself because I'm going <laughs> to tip some tip a favourite to do badly. Uh, I mean, I think that that uh, group of death with Germany, Portugal, uh, France in it is fascinating. I think everyone's assuming that Germany will be the one that have a hard time there because mm. they've been having such a terrible run of late. Um, I this is a this is a proper punt, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Portugal struggling in the group. Really, um, that's my tip to, to win it. Portugal. Well, uh, I, I think it, whoever I think whoever does well in that group may well go on to win it. Yeah, um, but Portugal's such an inconsistent international team at the best of times. Um, they've got the pressure of being the holders, which is always a has has funny effects on, on football teams and, and everyone in sport quite often. Um, and I've just got a feeling with so much depth and quality in, in throughout their team, they've got an incredible squad. Um, I think it might all be a bit tipped over and unbalanced by the Ronaldo factor. Mm. Um, I think Ronaldo has been as much of a curse as a blessing to Portugal over the last 20 years um, just because he, he shifts 
everything out of kilter. Uh, they're all trying to get him on the ball more often than he should. And I don't, I mean, I know that everybody's saying Ronaldo will just stand in the number 10 position and, and not play the kind of game that he used to play and wait for the ball to come and, he, and he'll score two or three headers in every game. And he may well do that and it may well work out fine. Uh, I've just, I, I've got a feeling that Germany might actually pull it together because Germany so often do. Um, and it might well be that Portugal are, are the ones that crash and burn and have a bit of a meltdown. Um, but as I say, you know, th- that is a, that's a, a long, uh, punter's long shot. Um, it's equally likely that Portugal just absolutely blow everyone away hmm. and go all the way through to the final. Um, either of those could happen, but I think that, that group with the three of those plus, is it Hungary? I think of the poor women yes. boys yeah. in that group. God bless them. Yeah. Scotland's been in that position <laughs> <laughs> in the past. And, uh, they've got my every sympathy. Um, but yeah, no, it would be, it would actually be really nice if Hungary took some points off one or two of, of those teams as well, just to mix it up a bit more. Um, I think that group is going to be fascinating and, and it may well be that one of the three of those teams, and I don't think it'll be France, I think one of the other two, uh, will, might well have a bit of a nightmare in the group stage. Fair enough. I mean, regarding Ronaldo, um, I would agree with you if it were not for a certain Bernardo Silva. I think Ronaldo loves playing with Bernardo Silva. Yeah. I think he brings out kind of, and he tempers him. He he tempers Ronaldo. He's, he's um kind of you know the, the, the kind of mix he's got of work rate, selflessness, um, and flair from Bernardo just yeah. works perfectly for Ronaldo. He's like the anti-Ronaldo, isn't he? Yes, exactly. <laughs> In every exactly way, that yeah, we balance each other out perfectly. <laughs> That's um, such a good shout, Lloyd. Um, any kind of letdowns for you who you anticipate to kind of really. Screw up. I'll, I'll just very quickly say for me, it's uh, Spain because we're inconsistent, and Holland. Holland are just going to be oh, awful. Yeah. I think. Um, any any to add to them, Lloyd? I think Holland definitely. Um, that team just looks strange and lacking yeah. in firepower. And De Boer has proven himself to be utter <laughs> crap. Yeah, uh, basically since he left Ajax. Um, so yeah, I think Netherlands are a good shout. I think. I think for me, uh, I, I think Germany are going to struggle. They'll probably get out of their group because all three of those teams in the group of death, so it's called, which is not really a group of death if three teams can qualify, but there we go. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that they they could really struggle. Um, and actually, I was listening to Rafa Honigstein on Five Live last night and I've never heard him be so kind of downbeat. He was really like, we are going to get knocked out at basically the first available opportunity. Mm. Um, just because if you look at Germany's team, they, since um, since the World Cup in 2018, they've tried to kind of bring through young players and regenerate the team. Um, and what basically about six months ago, once Lerv uh, announced that he was off, basically just threw that into the bin and went, well, I want to go out on a strong tournament. So brought back Hummels, Muller, all of the old guys. So they're kind of in disarray a little bit. Um, and, you know, there's there's whispers of another rift with Leroy Sane, um, who's expected to be on the bench again um, under Love. I mean, I think he was picked last time. So, yeah, I mean, they just, to me, scream out as a team that could struggle, particularly in a group like that. Um, I think the other one, this is a bit bold of me, but, I'm going to say it is. I've got a feeling Belgium might struggle mm, a little bit yeah, as well. I'm with you. I th- yeah. think the tournament has come a year too late for them in that so many of their players 
Um, obviously, amazing players led by none other than Kev, um, our golden boy. But I feel defensively, the Tongan and Alderweireld are still the guys that they rely on with ex-City lad Jason Denea probably in the middle of a back three. And, they're, you know, they're 33 and 32 now, I think, Alderweireld and Vertonghen. And I think we've seen, you know, Vertonghen's apparently had a good season at Benfica, but Alderweireld has struggled at Spurs. Um and yeah, I could just see them getting the run around a little bit defensively. Um, if they can hold it together, obviously their front seven is probably one of the best in the tournament. Um, but I could see them struggling potentially against some of the kind of, you know, nippier teams. Um, you know, England being one with a lot of kind of technical quality, uh, in the final third. Well, can I just add some of the state on, on Belgium to that? I've just got a feeling that they've been weighed down by all the pressure of their own golden generation thing for the last you know, nearly 10 years now. Um, and that seems to have finally lifted. I, I mean, I, I have no idea what the, you know, what the atmosphere is like in Belgium and the Belgian press, but as far as the rest of the world is concerned, people have stopped looking at them with quite the same expectation. Uh, and I just wonder if having that little bit of pressure lifted off them. Uh, you know, a little bit of the spotlight and the focus off them might help them and, and they might actually slip through a bit easier than they would have done uh, otherwise. So, yeah, I'm not ruling Belgium out yet. I think they, they uh, I mean, given how their uh, their form and, and everything Lloyd just said, uh, they can possibly almost slip back into the dark horse category. I'm not quite <laughs> sure where they are. Uh, but I think, you know, I think Belgium has still got a, a decent shout at this. Uh, Axel Witzel and Eden Hazard are both very 50-50 with their, with their fitness right now and, and yeah. they are so key to Belgium so um, but yeah they've got Kev they've got the Kaku so they're always going to be in with a shout um, yeah just a, a very very quick rant about Dark Horses Dark Horses never win tournaments uh, every two years one or two teams will come to the fore and they'll be mentioned by every kind of, you know, journalist around and people will kind of in pubs will say, you know, I like this year, I fancy Denmark or Turkey. Name a, a single time when a dark horse has won a tournament. I'm not talking about rank outsiders such as Greece. I'm talking about a team that's fancied beforehand and, and as regard as that outside shot. They just, they never, they always disappoint. Rant over. Right. My surprise package, by the way, my dark horse is going to be Scotland. Not to go on to win oh, it, but to, but to go deep. I do believe it could do a Wales, as it were, this tournament. So, which brings us nicely to Scotland itself. Ali, um, two questions. How do you think they'll fare? And on a personal note, just how excited are you about what's to come? Well, I'm incredibly excited. I mean, excited is not quite the right word. Uh, I'm just really happy to be there. Um, it, it, it feels like a sense of satisfaction, uh, job done actually already. And, and that's a strange way to go into a tournament. Um, but I don't think any Scotland fan would be, uh, devastated to go out in the group stages because I don't think we, Scotland as a team, have got any entitlement to be any further than the group stages of a tournament. Um, and having had an entire, you know, generation, you know, 23 years without a major tournament, uh, just being there is the achievement. And I'm absolutely happy with that. Everything that may come on top of that, uh, will be an absolute bonus for me. As to whether or not anything will come on top of that, um, 
it's really strange to think that Scotland are actually looking like a decent football team. It's been, even when we've had a good squad in the, in the past, and you can go back to the mid-90s when we had you know, a fair smattering of, of top-level Premier League players uh, in there, uh, it always felt that they weren't quite uh, cohering as, as they needed to, and, and it you know, it was never quite clicking. Um, there's something that Steve Clark has got this side doing that seems to be really working, and he's getting performances as a team that are above the the sum of the parts, which Scotland hasn't done for a long time. Uh, the the attack down the left hand side uh, for for a couple of years probably people were saying that Scotland's huge problem is that we had you know six or seven uh, international class players probably uh, but two of them were left backs and the other five were central midfielders um, and and Clark has, has managed to find a way to get most of those players on the pitch at the same time in a way that suits them so we've got uh, Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson yes uh, as a double act down the left uh you know wing back stroke left of a three um and then inter uh, uh, playing around each other and, and swapping one goes forward the other hold back in a way that you don't often see um and it's really quite exciting and if you're i don't care who you are if you're Kyle Walker or any right back in the world uh you've got Robertson and Tierney you know, approaching you on either shoulder. It's a terrifying prospect. And the quality of both coming in, uh, from particularly from that flank has been amazing in recent games. Um, but we still have a massive problem that we don't have a striker. Uh, you know, for the last, you know, the run up to this tournament, we've been depending on goals from John McGinn, uh, who bless him. And, you know, I, I love John McGinn. His little cotton socks, uh, <laughs> but he's he's not a striker. He's 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 many things, but he's not a natural striker. Um, if Scot if Scotland was blessed with <laughs> a, a, a Haaland or you know like a, a, a proper mm. world class um, number nine, uh, the amount of goals we would get from the quality of delivery coming in from both sides, but particularly the left, would would be off the charts. As it is, we've got loads of fabulous balls coming in and, and absolutely nobody in the end. Um, and I'm not hugely optimistic that uh, Shea Adams and Linton Dykes can can suddenly turn into you know the yeah. tournament standard strikers. Um, so we will struggle for goals, uh, but we're incredibly organised. Uh, Steve Clark's done a tremendous job, um, and I think it's more than uh, more than credible, more than more than believable that we squeeze four points out of the three games in the group and and may even. Yeah, like go through quite comfortably. Um, but if we don't, as I say, I, you know, I, I will not shed any tears this time. I went through an, an entire lifetime of, of kind of expectation that Scotland would get out of a group. Uh, and that's gone. <laughs> I've had that long, long beaten out of me. Uh, I'm just delighted to be there. And I'm, I'm aware that I've got a, a niece and a nephew who are aged 18 and 20 or so, uh, mad about football and they have never seen Scotland in a, a tournament. Um, and yeah, that, that's, yeah, an entire generation of Scottish kids growing up not knowing what it's like. So it's just wonderful, and I'm gonna I'm gonna love every moment. Um, and the fact that we've got a, a Scotland England game at Wembley, uh, smack bang in the middle of it all, is just a cherry on the cake. It, it's beautiful, and I, I'm really gonna be uh, walking about with a big grin on my face for the next week. Come what, whatever happens.
Yeah, I, well, I'm tipping this finish with a rub. Um, I, I think you played Croatia five times in your history, and I know I'm going back to the 90s with some of these, but still, you're unbeaten. Right down through history against Croatia. Yeah. Uh, you, you beat Czech Republic the past three times. Um, I, I just think with a bit of momentum, you've got two games at Glasgow as well. And, um, that's I'm, huge. Yeah. yeah. That's absolutely, with fans, mm. it's the first games in Scotland with fans at all for, for 15 months. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we didn't have fans at the cup final and, and the run into the league, unlike in England. So the Scotland fans um, at Hamden, but also at Wembley, will be absolutely up to high dough. It's going to be an incredible atmosphere. Uh, and, and, and those who don't know, Hamden is a, it's an inner city uh, in a city ground, it's not like the yes. Etihad or, or whatever. Uh, so the you know the, the opposing teams are going to be coming through the streets, and it's going to be a, a, the atmosphere will be like a friendly version of Anfield on a on a European European night. You know, there there's that intensity that you get, and and it will it, it's going to be buzzing. It's going to be it's going to be immense. Ali, oh. can I just ask is the um is is the Czech Republic game the one that you guys? think you really have to win or do you fancy yeah, taking points I, I do. from Croatia and England? No, I mean, I, 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 I'm reluctant to say it out loud, but I think we could nick a point off England. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we did. Um, you know, and if we're to go through, I really don't want to have to be beating Croatia in the final game. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that first game against Czech Republic is just absolutely huge. Um, and I'm trying not to, to, you know the, the the worst thing about the the first game thing is if you then lose it, your whole enthusiasm and, and optimism just goes out the window. So I, I'm trying not to get too hung up on that. Uh, but there's no doubt of the three matches, that's the most winnable. Mm. Um, uh, but then again, I mean, Croatia are not the team they were. No, no, no. They've got the worst, ago, like, the worst form of any team yeah. across the tournament. And the, the the every time I've seen Modric this year, he's just looked an absolute shadow of his former self. You know, they've it's lost thirty six in September. Yeah, I know. Uh, so it, yeah, it, it's it's fairly easy to to summon optimism for the game against Croatia as well. Uh, but I really don't want to have to depend on that. And they're not scoring much either, Croatia. It's I fancy them to struggle personally. Um, so yeah, England top the group, Scotland runner up. England go on to play Portugal, France, or Germany. <laughs> face Sweden or Poland. It could happen, mate. I love this tune. Absolutely. <laughs> and particularly those two games in Glasgow because it was key for Wales in 2016, the Red Wall. Absolutely key. Which brings us to Wales, and we're not going to do anything this year. We're just not. Um, I got asked to write an article the other day about Wales and how I anticipate them doing, and I basically said I just want us to progress through the group. I just want a last 16 game from which you know I'll happily exit because I just don't fancy this year um, Lloyd are you more optimistic not really um, <laughs> oh no I share I share your pessimism um, I think Wales have always kind of at international level relied on like three or four key players yeah. being absolutely bang at it and I think we can all accept that Bale, whilst he has shown his best form in recent years for Wales, is starting to slide over the hill. Ramsey, who's the other massive key player, has been troubled with injury this season. Uh, sounds like he's going to be fit, but like fit mm. to play, not completely match fit. Um, kind of similar to a Jordan Henderson situation, I think, for, for England. Obviously, Joe Allen as well. Um, Wales have got some, you know, really good young players like, you know, David Brooks. Um, I won't call 
Dan James a really good young player, but like, you know, he's got some stuff that he can do. He can run, <laughs> he can run fast. <laughs> he can run really fast. And uh, like Ampadu's a good, yeah, I think a really good cent- uh, young yeah. centre-half. So Wales have got some good young players, but I think, yeah, um, could struggle. I mean, gr- the group's not that bad for you guys though. Um, and you should, I think you should get out of the group. Um, but it's obviously from there, isn't it? What happens? Mm, so. I mean, Switzerland are just stoic, aren't they? And Switzerland always reach for last 16. They always go out in the last 16, but they always reach for last 16. So, mm. I, as the same way as Czech Republic are the one for Scotland to beat, um, or better in terms of overall results, then for us, it's Switzerland. And we're not going to better Switzerland, I don't think. You don't think, fair? No, I, I think we're going to finish bottom of the group, and I think we'll go out. Like, like I said in that article, I just want us to have a bit of excitement. I just want a memorable goal. I just want us to have a last 16 kind of, you know, where that feeling, because, you know, oh, Ali, if it's coming your way, mate, the jealousy, because to remember what it's like in 2016. I know it's not the same, obviously, with pubs and everything, but going, going back five years, just going to the pub, and you could not move in there you could not you, you basically just had your pint clutched to his chest and you had no more room around you and and that pint would soon be gone as soon as you scored and it was just incredible just <laughs> hugging your mates you know uh, yeah I, I want those days again we all do um okay so beyond the home nations uh let's stay with you Lloyd who are you most looking forward to watching of the home nations. Uh, sorry, beyond the home nations. Oh, um, I think Portugal could be really fun. Um, mm. But I think the obvious answer is France. Um, and I think they're the favourites to win. Would you, sorry to interject, but would you, do you want them to do well because they're a really good team? Or will you be watching them and kind of, you know, wanting them to fail? Uh, no, I don't really hate France, to be fair. Right. Like, um, and no, I think that, I think they'll be, they, they just should be the best to watch. I mean, a front, a front three or four of kind of Mbappe, Griezmann, Benzema, Pogba. I mean, it's, you know, it's a bit of a joke when you've got Dembele, you know, just absolute madness on the bench as well. Lamar, obviously Kante, Champions League, <laughs> final man of the match, you know, absolute boss in midfield to kind of mop, mop up all those other guys. So mm. they should be, you know, I think, they, well, they they should win it, but equally, I think they should be great fun. And I really hope Benzema is fit because I think he should tie all of that um, source behind him together if he is. Fair enough. Uh, Ali, who are you kind of looking forward to watching beyond the home nations? Yeah, well, all the, all the big teams for for obvious reasons. Uh, one particular game I've got my eye on is a real special one: uh, Finland against Russia. Uh, if if anyone thinks Scotland v England or, or <laughs> England Germany or Germany Holland or whatever is a grudge match, you have got no idea until you've talked to a Finnish person about Russia. Uh, it's their first ever uh, uh, major tournament, and they've drawn just like the, this massive tie for for them. Uh, and they've got Timo Pukki. We all love Timo Pukki. Um, and I think that that Finland Russia game is it's going to be like mayhem, uh, and that that's a a good little um, hip hipster subplot if you like. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, but beyond that, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, I, I think the France team, uh, just to reiterate what Lloyd just said, is it, it, one of the best international squads I can ever remember seeing. It's, just, it's hard to see any uh, flaws in it, uh, and you know, the the manager I think uh, uh, there's. 
some kind of stat that he's won every major tournament, both as a player and yes. a manager, yeah, apart from this one. Uh, apart from this one as a manager. So completing the set uh, is hard to bet against him, and I think they're going to be fantastic to watch. Uh, for me, it's Italy. Um, the whole Bobby Mann connection, I guess, as well. But they're, they're fun to watch. And I, I always kind of semi-support Italy in tournaments. I don't quite know why. But um, Okay, so time is running against us, lads. So for the uh, next couple of questions, just kind of a one-word answer. Um, and this is a, the biggie. Lloyd, who are you tipping to win it? I can't see beyond France. Um, genuinely, uh, to, to keep it really short, I think it's probably one of the most open tournaments it's been mm. in in a long time. But I do think France is so strong that surely they go deep, and I, I would expect them to win. I, I think if you can get five to one on France anywhere, then take it. Um, otherwise, the best odds for me are eight to one, nine to one on Portugal. Um, <coughs> Ali. It was the same again. Uh, I, I can't see past France, uh, although uh, slightly longer odds. Uh, I, I reiterate what I said earlier. I think Belgium might surprise everyone. Yeah, fair enough. Um, the leading, well, the Golden Boot Award, um, I'm just going to go for one of the French front three, to be honest, uh, Mbappe, Griezmann, or, well, it could be Giroud at this point with um, Benzema's injury, but although he looks like he could return. Um, Kane's a good shout, but short-priced. Lloyd, golden boot winner? For me, has to be Lukaku. Um, I think, obviously, in his group, he's got Finland and Russia. I think he could he could run up That's five before the group, stages, the group stages are over. Yeah. <laughs> um, Belgium have got a decent run, obviously. And I think that, that even if, I said, I think they might struggle in the latter stages, I think Lukaku could run up a lot of goals before the tournament even gets relatively serious. So Kane will rival him if England go far, but I think obviously there's a good chance England got early. So yeah, yeah Lukaku for me. I have the last three major tournaments for leading goal scorers scored six. So that's the five, six mark is where you're at. And yeah, uh, Ali, leading goal scorer for you. Yeah, and uh, despite what I said earlier, I wouldn't be at all surprised if uh, Ronaldo ends up somewhere <laughs> near there yeah. just because he will do that thing of standing in the penalty spot and, and heading in two or three goals a game. Uh, and Immobile uh, and Italy, just because he's more of a centre, uh, their goal threat is more centred around him yes. than the other leading teams where it's a bit more diverse, you know, France and even England, where you can kind of see goals coming from everywhere. Uh, so, yeah, but the other thing about the Golden Boot winners is they very often come from left field. You know, it's it's a, a player you don't expect who gets a hat-trick in a group game and, and then knocks in a couple of penalties and they've done it. Um, usually Harry Kane. Yeah, I was going to say, I was about to say this thing, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, Hamid Rodriguez uh, at the World Cup. Yeah, was a, a good example of that. So yeah, you never know. It's a hard one to bet on. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't want to pick yeah. up the odds. Yeah. Well, Immobile is an interesting one because he's a European Golden Shoe winner two years ago. Yeah. Last year he was fantastic. Genesary scored twenty plus goals, but he's always kind of not really done it for Italy. He's always been a threat more than an actual end product. That's changing now. He's actually starting to score for Italy. So. Yeah, Immobile's a good show. Um, very quickly, lads, play of the tournament. I'm going, and I don't want to say this, but I'm going for Paul Pogba. Um, Ali? Tell you what, as a Scotsman, just for fun, I will say Philip Walter Foden. Nice one. Love Wee. it. Uh, Lloyd? Yeah, I think if England can do something, Grealish and Foden will be right at the front of it. Um, 
but I think if we're being realistic, for me, it's one of Mbappe, Kante, or um, or Pogba. Yeah. Okay. Right, that's well. It's just time to get look forward to the tournament now. Thank you very much for joining me today, Ali. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Lloyd. Buzzing, mate. Cheers. Ready for it to start. Yeah, same here, man. <laughs> Bring it um, on. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. That's a wrap for today, folks. We're off to dye our hair silver in homage to <laughs> Philip Walter Foden, or at least Ali and Lloyd are. Sadly, I just require a short back and sides. Take care, everyone, and come re